Right, that's it. So we're going to speak a little bit on, um, on spiritual warfare. And, um, you know, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we need to understand, the first thing we need to understand is how we've been created. And um, if we can understand how we have been created, what kind of being we are, and we can understand, uh, if, if we understand that, we will understand what can kill us. And if there is a war and there's an enemy, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to kill the other person. You know, so if you go to war, you don't go to love your enemy. You know, you go to war to kill the enemy. And um, what Satan wants to do is he wants to get people into death. And if we can understand how we've been made, what God's original plan was, we can define death. And when we can define death, we can see his strategy easily. And, it, and we find it so easy to walk in victory in the area of spiritual warfare. The first thing I want to say is spiritual warfare for years, and for those of you that watch by the internet, maybe you're watching my messages for the first time, uh, spiritual warfare is not binding the devil. That, that is not spiritual warfare. That is what, that's a wrong understanding of scriptures. Um, where we, for, for years, I, I remember, um, it's actually humorous, but um, I went, years ago, I was already in grace, and uh, there was somebody in the team that said, listen, we need to go and do spiritual warfare around the town just outside of Kimberley, you know, um, and uh, just walk around the, the, the township binding the devil. And uh, so I felt, you know, this guy felt he heard God and... Um, so, so, and I, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. So I said, yeah, okay, let's walk around the place. And we were a team, you know, that went on outreach. And I realized that was not spiritual warfare. It was exercise. <laughs> you know, because I, I had blisters on my feet, you know. Everybody was all of a sudden just seeing demons everywhere. You know, I was just thinking this can't be because God poured out His Holy Spirit. Why are we just seeing the devil? But we can't see the Holy Spirit. And if one third of the angels was cast out, you know, which we will want to call demons or whatever, and um, what about the two thirds of the angels? Are they just worshipping in heaven and are they not on earth? So I mean, for every devil you see, you must at least see two angels. You know, but we only see the devil. Plus then the Holy Spirit is omnipresent inside us around us and those who have not even accepted the Lord the Holy Spirit is there called alongside to help he's there so at least you must see the Spirit of God everywhere you must see angels everywhere and uh, if you're so spiritual to see demons you, you might see um, you know one or two here or there you know but that is not the concept of spiritual warfare uh, I watched a program on television where they talked about the um, Freemasons you know, and there was a big thing on the TV program. Everybody was just speaking about the Freemasons and, you know, all these voorskote, uh, I don't know what, aprons and whatever, you know. Now, my grandfather was not a Freemason, but if he was one, and the only thing I had of him was his Freemason apron, I'm not going to burn it. I'm not going to do that. The Bible says, now I want to explain this. You know, if that apron is in my house, and you take the apron and you put it on the sick, they're going to be healed. 
Because I've made it holy. I've made it holy by being thankful for receiving something from my grandfather. No, that cannot be. Do you know the Bible says that if you eat, eat food offered to idols? I'm not talking about a little apron here. I'm talking about somebody that had food on a sacrifice for an idol or a false god. It's like you go into Africa, there's this false wooden god they've got there, then they've got a, a goat there, they've slaughtered the thing in a ritual, cut it to pieces, put it in prayer to the god, offering it to the god. Okay? And now you, as a Christian, go and eat it. Many will say, you can't do that. Oh my goodness, the curse will come over you. That thing is from the devil. But Paul said, if you thank God for it, it is made holy by the blood and the prayer. That thing was made holy, set apart to feed a man of God. Or, or you. I mean, whoever. It has fed you. You thank God for it. So when you saw it, in the way you see it, is what determines if it's holy or not. If I see that food offered to an idol as holy, or I see it as given from God to me, it's holy. It has been set apart as God's provision for me. End of it. No, you know, let me put it this way. If God has come and He said, who can curse what I've blessed? You know that this one guy went and he tried to curse Israel? You know, he was paid by another king and said, go and uh, 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 Biliam and Balak. They wanted to curse Israel. And then every time they want to curse the nation, they bless the nation. Then he's very angry because he gave him a lot of gold, the king, uh, uh, and said, why are you uh, not cursing the people? He, then he said, man, I've come to the conclusion after three or four times trying to curse the nation that you cannot curse what God has blessed. It's impossible. Amen. In the Old Testament... And now the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 1, verse 1, 2 and 3, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. I'm blessed. Okay. Now, I do believe that if you've got uh, 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 some false God in your house and you believe in the God, that can bring a bad thing into your life because you believe in it. That, that little, that apron... Uh, is dead okay all the needles you see everywhere in town do you know what it is just concrete it's dead what gives it life is people's belief in it and the problem is in church um, that the message has been going around about what the Freemasons has done and what these people has done bringing faith or belief in the evil thing empowering the work of the enemy in the church That is what's happening because now people are believing in that thing. And when you believe in it, you all of a sudden, when you drive past that place, you feel that, whoo, you get that eerie feeling. You know, it's like, I felt it. I really felt it. But you never felt it before you heard the message. But now you're feeling it and you know why. All of a sudden, you know why your grandmother is sick now. Because of the Freemasons. 
or whatever. I'm just using the Masons now. I'm not very skilled in the, those theologies. Years ago I was, but I mean that's 15, 16, 17 years ago. I don't know what's the newest thing going around. But uh, it, it, it doesn't, I mean it brings a, a sin consciousness, a guilt consciousness, and you know like on television I, I, I watched and I see the one guy now comes and then he breaks the curse of the Freemason over South Africa. And then five episodes later another guy breaks it. Now that doesn't make sense to me. I'm a little bit of an analytical left brain, you know, so that doesn't make sense to me. If this guy broke it, then it's broken. Nobody ever has to break it in eternity again. It's broken. But now everybody binds the Freemason spirit. And then they say all these statute, statutes or whatever is bringing a curse on, over our country. But the law says you're not allowed to break it down. The law of the government, laws, you cannot go and break it down. It's illegal. It's vandalism. You can't do it. So now what are we going to do? It's like when I was in Europe. You go to the cathedrals. You see all these dragons and whatever on the cathedral. It's like, man, these, this place must be cursed because of, look at that dragon. If you believe in the dragon, you'll have a problem. But if you don't believe in the dragon, you will not have a problem. So the way we get rid of the power of the devil when it comes to uh, all these things in our houses and all those things is by not believing that it's got power. As long as what you believe has got power, it will have your power that you give it. Which will be by your understanding and your insight and whatever. But when you believe it's got no power, it's got no power. Like I said, if you take a Freemason apron and put it in my cupboard, and you take it out, you put it on the sick, they'll be healed. Hallelujah. That's what happened to Paul. They took his clothes, put it on the sick, and the sick were, were healed. In the very same thing, you know, uh, the Bible doesn't say, what does the Bible say about a sacrifice? It says, is it the sacrifice that makes the temple holy, or is it the temple that makes the sacrifice holy? The temple makes the sacrifice holy. We are the temple of God. Amen. The things given to us, when it's received with thanksgiving, is being made holy by this temple of God. Amen. This iPad was a normal iPad until I got it. It now it's holy. It's been set apart for me. I received it as from God. Amen. So in my mind, it's been made holy. That's what the word holy means, to set apart. This shirt is holy. The car I drive is holy. Everything I possess, everything you possess is holy. You know, so we can't come with, you know, did somebody put a muti in my house? If, if a witch brings a muti into my house, the muti's been made holy. That muti can heal people now. I tell you. You know, I was in Africa bush. So they, they the, uh, Ed Elliott, a good friend of mine, the person who taught me the grace message in the beginning, I had a meeting and, and they collect a lot of witchcraft stuff. And you know, in Africa I will also do that. Just get the people out of that thing because of what they believe. And they got, uh, got all the witchcraft stuff and they put it now in a, a big bag. And uh, then they would burn it, you know, on the Friday. You know, for the people saying, listen, we, we part with the stuff and whatever. Right, so they would burn it on the Friday. So what I did was, that evening I want to go sleep. But now I can't find my pillow. So my pillow is gone. But I found this bag with all the witchcraft muti in it. <laughs> so I was thinking, I'm not going to suffer having neck ache tomorrow because I don't have a pillow and there's a bag. 
you know, provided for me, for a pillow. So I took the bag and I used it as a pillow. I was full of blinker keys the next day and whatever, you know, the, the mooty they have the, in there. But nothing wrong. Nothing. I, I remember in the middle of the Africa bush preaching um, uh, and then there was these witches and they started to chant around my caravan in the middle of nowhere. And I was sleeping, my friend, we were asleep, we didn't hear anything. The next day the pastor came and he said, did you hear the witches chant around the caravan? Now they normally chant naked. So thank God, man. You know, I didn't wake up. <laughs> you know what? The sight for sore eyes. Anyway, so the somebody with a big thing on his head dancing naked around. So I called the, I, I, the next day. I said, um, I said, no. Well, let's. Um, I, I over the microphone. I invited the witches. I said to them, listen. I want to invite you to come to the caravan during the day whenever you like. Um, I want to bless you with some food. You know, some coke and maize. Because the Bible says, bless those that curse you. It doesn't say cut the curse of those who curse you. There's no such a thing as cutting the curse ministry in the Bible. There's not one verse for it. Not one verse. But there's ministries of it in the Bible. You can't show me one verse which says you must cut the curse in the name of Jesus. There's not one such a verse. It says, bless those that curse you. So... The, the, the one, uh, two, two, of, two of those witches got saved, the elders in the church now, and the other one left because he didn't have any business anymore because the people got healed in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's the truth. It was in the northern parts of, of, of Zambia. So, uh, in the very same way, I believe that we've been, the, the power of all these things comes through not understanding what true spiritual warfare is. When God made man, <clears throat> He made man as a being that enters and experiences life by belief. When God made Adam, Adam was sinless, Adam was uh, righteous, he was holy, he was everything. But then Adam would live and remain in that state by believing in God. Believing in how God created him. So by faith, we experience this truth. And that is a principle that's in all of our lives. Um, if I come and I, if you look at the news and you see, see something disturbing, you know, you, you see uh, the Rand Dollar does something that you're not, that's not supposed to do. When you see it and you believe what, what you see, what you, what, what you believe will, or that thing you see will then be formed in your life because you believe in it. It will bring fear, it will bring whatever. The moment you believe something else, another emotion will come to your heart. Okay? And form your life. So in the same way, God came, made Adam in his likeness, in his image, in the perfection of God, gave him the tree of life to eat from, which is belief in God to say, forever I want to be in this state. I believe, I rest my mind in you being in me. Adam didn't do that. Because another belief was offered to him. Satan came to, to, uh, to Eve and said, listen, you can be like God by knowledge of right and wrong. The knowledge of good and evil. Amen. Now the knowledge of good and evil, technically speaking, was actually taking the knowledge of good, basing your life on the knowledge of good, which is evil. Okay, the knowledge of good and evil. So if I take the knowledge of all the good things that's in my life, you know, I, I, I take the house that I live in, I take house going with me financially, 
how my relationship with my wife is and all those kind of things. I take all the good and I take all the good inside my own ability. Um, you know, maybe I look at myself, I can be a, a strong world, I can, I, I've got the determination and all those kind of things. I look at all my abilities and I look at all the good that I can do and I look at, at that and I say from this, I can, I can use all this good to form a wonderful God life and then I know I can be like God by using all my abilities. That is death. That is what Satan brought to Eve and he deceived her from the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. We're going to get into that. So if we can understand how we function, we're a being that functions from our belief. So what Satan want to do is he wants to uh, uh, change your belief. If you can believe a wrong thing about God, if you can believe a wrong thing about yourself, you know, you will be defeated in that area of your life. Right, so when it comes to, when it comes to spiritual warfare, when, it, when we lose the battle, when we come to the place where we say, God, you know, I'm in a war. What is the war? The war is to alter your belief. When Satan wants to come and he wants to tell Eve that you can be like God by your works. You can be by what you do. That is how you're righteous before him. And when, when she believed it, she lost the battle. She didn't do anything. I mean, she didn't uh, swear. She didn't lie. She did nothing. All she did was she believed a lie. And that was what Satan used to bring the whole of humanity to a fall. Now, if you look at that, and the Bible comes and he says clearly in um, Corinthians, I want to read it here, talks about, uh, um, in 1 Corinthians, why didn't I, I think this is 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5, I'm not sure. It says, I didn't write it here. It says, now, regarding the one that started this all, this is, this is about a person that slept with his Mother, he's, he's say, stiffma. Okay? Yeah. He, he, with a stepmother. He, he slept with her. Then Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, listen, I want you guys not to, uh, I want you guys to put this person away. You know, this person should not be in the church anymore because bringing blame to the church. Let, rather give him over to the devil. Because when you give him over to the devil, his flesh can be destroyed. When his flesh can be destroyed, his spirit can be saved. Now, I will explain that. Now, this is just in the light of that. So, this is now 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about getting the person back into, uh, into the church. Now, listen to what Paul says. He says, Now, regarding to the one who started all this trouble and pain, the person in question who caused all this pain, I want you to know that I am not the one injured um, in this as much as you, with a few exceptions. Um, uh, exceptions. So I don't want to come down too hard. What the majority of you agreed to as punishment is punishment enough. Because they agreed, they said, this person who committed this sin, you know, or this vulgar thing, should rather let him go and do what he wants to do. Let him, let, don't let him be part of the church. Don't eat with him. Don't spend time with him. Just leave him. Give him over to what he wants to do. It's like somebody who... Um, Say somebody's got an alcohol problem and you've been talking to him over and over and over and over. Or this person's got a fighting problem, you know, or this person wants, really wants to go and do something. What do you do? After speaking to him 20 times, just leave him, you know. You don't judge him, you don't condemn him. Just say, listen, I'm not going to tell the guy, listen, as long as what you want to do this, I love you, I don't condemn you, but I can't associate with this. Go and do this. 
And when you're in need and, and you've come to the end of yourself, you know, I'm the first person who will be willing to help you. That's basically what Paul was saying. Okay, so they, they put this guy away. They said, listen, and then he said, the fact that you guys didn't associate with this person anymore was enough punishment for him. Don't continue to be angry with the guy. The idea is not to be angry with a sinner. And you will hear what he says now. And we're going to talk about spiritual warfare in this. What the majority of you agreed to as punishment is punishment enough. Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on guilt, you could very well drown him in it. My counsel now is to pour on the love. The focus of my letter, this was the first letter, in telling to give this person over to Satan. He says, the focus of my letter wasn't on punishing the offender, but on getting you to take responsibility for the health of the church. So if you forgive him, I forgive him. Don't think I am carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is that I am joining in with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. Let's, uh, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So he says here, listen, talking about Satan's devices here. Uh, there's a person that committed this horrible thing. Then he said, I want you guys, rather let this person not be part of the church. Tell him, listen, we're not fellowshipping with you anymore. We can't associate with this deed. As long as what you say, I am continuing with this work, love you, we care for you, the church is open for you to come back if you leave this thing because you are damaging the body of Christ. It's like uh, uh, somebody said to me, Bertie, will you allow a gay to be your worship leader? I said no. Because, uh, uh, um, and he said, but can you allow a gay to come to the church? Anybody can come to the church. But if you want to be in a, a position of leadership, you cannot be a gay. That's my view on this. And that's what I believe the Bible says. So, do I reject the person? Do I condemn the person? No. All I say is, if you want to be a leader here, you cannot be gay. In the same way, can you be a professor at a university without studying? No. Does that mean I discriminate against you? Does that mean I condemn you? No, I don't condemn you. All it means is, if you want to be in this position, many people are going to look at you, and they're going to form their perspective about what the gospel can do in somebody's life by looking at you, and they're going to stumble over your deed and not see the true gospel of innocence. Because most people that come to a church for the first time, or a great church for the first time, still live in the law. So they judge everything happening there by the law. Yeah. It's like yesterday we had the braai. Imagine I was drunk at the braai yesterday. What would the visitors have said? Say I was drunk, or say somebody of the congregation was drunk at the bride because we had wine there. What, I, I mean, would I condemn him? No, I would not condemn him. Would I judge him? Would I say this bad sinner or anything? No, not at all. If I see he's got an alcohol problem, I'll go and speak to him and ask him how I can help him. If he says, man, listen, leave me, this is my, this is my sakiri, I want a drink, you don't have a right to come and tell me, you know what I'll do? I'll give him over. I'll give him over to his problem. Yeah. Say, well, brother, if that's what you want, I give you over, you know. So I'm not going to come to your house speaking to you about this anymore. You say you want nothing to do with me, that's fine. You know, so I give you over. I'm making no effort with you. 
And then when his life is destroyed, when the sin has destroyed his flesh, what do I do? I go and help him. I restore him. Because this person went through such a hard time, they understood that Paul said, walk in unforgiveness towards the person. Paul said, I've never, been, had, a, I never had a grudge against this guy. I've never condemned him. All I said was, it's got nothing to do with a brother. It's got something to do with a picture people have of the church. And then he said, I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Because this, the, the people started to become works orientated by looking at the wrong deed that the, this person has done, starting to judge him only by what he's done. Paul's purpose was never to condemn the man for what he's done. Paul's purpose by saying, put him aside, was the view that people have of the church. Because he did not walk, he didn't have a relationship with people on the basis of their works. So um, if somebody's in, in, in the ministry and he's got a problem, say working for me or something, and he's got a problem, and I say to him, listen brother, I think you should step down. You know, The reason why I want him to step down is for the, the picture that grace shines forth in the world. We can't have a picture of grace where people sit in drunkenness, people sit in this, people sit in this. It's not because I judge the man by his works, condemning him, saying, you are a sinner, you're unrighteous, you don't qualify for the blessing of God. Because the moment I do that, the device that Satan has, that word device in the Greek, I studied it, it means the way of thinking, the thought pattern of Satan. Satan's thought pattern is to get you works orientated. That's what he wants. So it's very difficult. That's why Paul says, if somebody is caught in a sin, you that are mature in the Lord, go and correct him in a spirit of meekness, lest you fall in the very same thing. Because why is that brother in that thing? Because he became works orientated, he became situation orientated. Somebody falls into sexual lust or something. Why? Because he was brought up in a certain way. When he was brought up in a certain way, maybe, like I said yesterday, a person was molested or a person felt inferior. A person was, on, was in school always rejected by uh, uh, girls or rejected by boys. Now this person feels, I will feel loved if somebody of the opposite sex can just love me. Now he feels, a, he feels a need for that love. There's a law in him that says, if I can have this love from another person, then I'll be okay. Now he gets caught up into pornography. Okay? Because of that law that he tries to obey by works to feel good about himself. Now when you correct him, correct him in a spirit of meekness. Lest you, what is meekness? Meekness means submitted to the message of grace. Okay? And not works. So now I come and I submit myself. I say, God, I'm not going to judge this person based on his works. So my judgment about him will be based on belief. I want to see what does he believe or what, what does he need to believe to be set free from this thing. Because Satan wants to destroy his life. Satan wants to destroy the church by bringing a bad view about the church and a, a, a name of, of license to sin and all those kind of things. So how are we going to help this person? 
by humbling yourself under the gospel of God's grace, going to that person, looking at his belief system, getting him into the message of God's unconditional love. When he gets into the message of God's unconditional love, God's unconditional love sets him free from the power of sin. And I found in my life, whenever I do counseling and help people when they're in problems, I, I, I find that I'm not sin conscious anymore. When I look at the person, I can see, say a person's got outbursts of wrath, you know, he starts to um, beat up people and all those kind of things. I will tell him, listen, it's not good that you are a counselor, you know, in the church, because you might beat up people. It's not because I feel he's disqualified, because God cannot qualify him, because he doesn't have the right work. There's obviously something that he believes that will harm people. So I look at the belief. I don't, I don't have a grudge against the person. So Paul comes, he tells the people, listen, I wanted to forgive this man. He says, you think you are angry with a man because you think I'm angry with a man. I'm not angry with a man. I've never been angry with a man. My purpose was to just get the church, that there can be a good view about the church. I had nothing actually against the man. All I want was that the church can look good again and that this man can be restored. The number one thing was put him away so that his soul can be saved. And I've seen it, uh, you know, I had a friend like that. His life started to go backwards. And for years, you know, I was pulling him by my effort, you know, by my effort. He was also a strong supporter of the ministry. By my effort, I was praying for him. By my effort, I went to his house. I spent a lot of effort with this guy, you know, keeping him, you know, from falling into the ditch. But he wanted to go that way. And then after years of doing that, I felt, just give the man over. God will still save him, you know. God will still help him. Just give him over. When I gave him over, I wonder if it was two months. was bankrupt. Lost everything. Okay. He lost his wife, kids, everything. Got divorced. And what happened then? He came to my house. Bertie, I've lost it all. I've messed up. You know, I realized that my own way doesn't work. So what happened? The, there was a destruction of his flesh. What does the flesh mean? Your ability by your power to think you're a hero. Yeah. It was not God punishing him. That system kills anyway. And if a person really wants to go into that way, he thinks it's going to work, it's going to work, give him over. Don't walk in bitterness. Don't walk in a, a, a mindset of his works because that's what Satan wants. He, to Adam and Eve, he came and said, by your works, you are what you do. Paul comes and says, correct the man in the church and then these people became works orientated. He says, listen, we know the device of the devil. He wants us to just look at people's works and never to forgive him for what he's done because we're always mindful of the wrong thing he's done. So, the, I, I, I want to tell you, I'm teaching on spiritual warfare. <laughs> this is spiritual warfare. You know what's the most difficult thing to, to, to do? What is the, the spiritual war is when somebody comes and he does something wrong, not to in that moment become law-minded. It's like I shared with you, those of you that have not heard this, years ago a guy came to me and uh, he, he, he borrowed my truck. So he used the truck, broke the truck. I don't, know, I don't know how he got it right. The wheel came off. All the wheel studs broke. It was like eight or 9,000 rand just for the studs. That was, and that's if I repair it. 
Just the studs from Nissan. So I got the studs, and now I've got to put, put the studs in. But this guy, he, he, the, the truck broke, the wheel was loose, and he continued to drive with it to his house, phoned me, said to me, Beth, your truck's broken, you must come and fetch it. I said, no, it's fine, because I mean, I can't have everything just on him for the truck, because I've also used the truck. So all I expected from him was, when I get there, just help me to take the wheel off. You see, I could buy a spira, ne? Groot man. You know how heavy that wheel is? A truck wheel. That thing is this high. It, I can't pick it up. So I need somebody to help me take the wheel off. This guy doesn't do it. I sit and tear drink up his stoop, terwijl ek die wheel moet I like lost it, you know? There was a law in my heart. You need to give the truck back in a good condition. Okay, so he broke the law. Then I became conscious of his sin. Now, now there was this war. The spiritual war was to rather say, listen, you know, to, to look differently at it, not to be caught up in works righteousness. But what happened was, I think later on, I'm, I'm not sure this is long ago, he, he, got the, he borrowed the chainsaw from me. Or just before the truck, he borrowed the chainsaw. And then I said to him, after this truck thing, I said, listen, I want my chainsaw back as well. I phoned him. You know what he told me? He says, if you want the chainsaw, just go and fetch it at my house. I live on a farm. So now, the word is now quiet for the broer, you know. Became very upset. So I, I said, I'm not fetching that thing. You better bring it back. And I become. It was not just that he did the wrong thing. What happened in me was I became, I, I started to lose the battle in this sense. I became works-minded. Not just towards him, but in everything. In everything. A person shouldn't do this, they should do this. He shouldn't do this, he should do this. And he became works-minded. You know what's the worst thing that happens then? Then you become works-minded towards yourself. You start to see your own mistakes. And when you start to see your own mistakes, then you want to correct your mistakes by willpower. And you get into that vicious cycle of death. You know, and you become absolute legalistic. Death starts to, I mean, you can't see any good anymore. You, you start to feel depressed about things. Nothing's right anymore. The devil is in everything. You can't understand because you've prayed, you've done this, you've, you win the lost. You do everything and God, I do everything for you, but why, why does this guy do this for me? Can't you protect me, God? All of a sudden, your relationship with God is taking a knock. Because you become legalistic in your mind. So the war is not to get into works righteousness in your mind. Not to judge who the person is by what he does. So to make a long story short, I got the chainsaw back from the guy. The guy didn't bring it himself. His wife brought it. I want to start the chainsaw. I mean, now this chainsaw is two weeks old. I mean, it's a new chainsaw. So I want to start it. It starts but the blade doesn't go because the clutch has been burnt out. So I found the guy. <laughs> I said, my brother, this clutch has been burnt out. It's a new chainsaw. Um, can I go and give it in at a place and we go half off with the repair of the clutch? It'll be like 400 rand or whatever. He says, no, no, I can give it in anywhere, but the account is for me, not for him. So, so I gave him a piece of my mind. I'm the pastor, he's the member. 
And after I told him what I was thinking about him, he was crying. <laughs> he cried, you know. So I, I man, I, I felt so bad, you know. So then I, I walked, but because now I became so legalistic, so sin conscious, you know. I'm so far from in the rest of God. I'm so far from I'm the righteousness of God. I'm so far from I'm an innocent, he's innocent. I'm so far from God does not look at his sin. I'm so far from that love that flows from a revelation of who he is because of what Christ has done. And I walked past the bookshelf. And there was a book that I borrowed a year ago that I never gave back. <laughs> exactly what this guy did. And then I was in such condemnation, you know, so condemned. And that's exactly now what Satan wants. The next step Satan wants to do is to tell you what you must do to correct all these things by your works. And now you start to work and work and work. So you, you go and say you're sorry, okay? I don't say you shouldn't say sorry, but you go and say you're sorry. And then you go and look at everything in your house that you've ever borrowed from anybody and you give it back with a sorry letter. Okay? And, and then you will become so legalistic. You'll become so judgmental towards people and there you've lost it. You've lost, you, you've lost the experience of the very life of God in you. The life is not lost. The life is in you. But you can't experience it. Because you are not believing in it anymore. You're believing in works righteousness. And that's exactly what, what he wanted to, to happen. What Satan wanted to happen with, with Adam and Eve. So from the day Adam and Eve fell, man's whole work was to become righteous before God by his works. And even today, you know, yesterday when we were at, at Ines uh, and Marlene's house, I mean, they live really in such a beautiful area, you know. It's like a piece of paradise. I think that plaques and almost no paradise clue folk. Okay, so we went in there, and um, uh, uh, so it's, it's this beautiful place. And then they speak to Ines, and Ines they say, "How long do you stay here? No, so long, whatever." And then he says, "But I'm, it's not my property. I rent this place, you know." And it's almost as if, if he owned it, it would have been wonderful. But now he's renting, so now it's not that wonderful. <laughs> See, that's the law. That's the law. That is, I am what I do. That, that is, your ability determines your blessedness or your godliness. So it would have been a very godly thing if you owned the place. But now it's, it's at least a little bit godly because you can rent it. So our war is... Not, uh, this is the spiritual war, to walk in the perspective of, of God's finished work in every man. To know that a car can never define a person. In our, our Western mindset, European mindset when it comes to money, our money can never say who somebody is, can never tell you who you are. So if you've lost that one deal, what does it mean? It means this holy, blessed, righteous, God creature lost a deal. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that you are now not blessed anymore. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Why, what did I do wrong not to get this deal? 
You know, in this world, there's so many unstable people. Now you want to measure the stability of God on the ability of somebody else doesn't even believe in God to be stable. You can never. You'll always be in defeat. This is what, what Paul also said. Um, Oh, where's that verse? Sorry. Uh. Paul comes in, uh, it's 2 Corinthians 4. He's, he says, I am afraid of you, lest you, lest you are beguiled by the snake, as Eve was beguiled from the simplicity of the gospel. And then he goes on in the whole chapter and he says there, and he talks about himself as a preacher and then other apostles that came and preached. And these other apostles were actually big shot apostles, you know, which I think, he never mentioned, mentions them, but I think it was the apostles that walked with Jesus. And here was Paul the apostle. You can go and read that. I'm not gonna, it's a whole chapter. I'm not going to read, read the whole chapter. But Paul comes and he says, listen, you Corinthian church, I want to tell you, I'm so scared that you are beguiled as Eve was beguiled from the simplicity of the gospel, because these other big shot apostles came, they, they take money from you, they manip manipulate you, they control you, and then they want to boast in your flesh. They want to come and put you under the law. They want to put you under circumcision, and then obedience to the Ten Commandments, and all those kind of laws. He says, I am scared, listen, that you are beguiled by these false apostles. Is there are apostles that comes and they are teaching a wrong doctrine and I'm scared that what happened to Eve in the garden happens to you by you believing the wrong thing that they preach and what they preach is you need to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses and believe in Jesus that's what they preach and then he says, the, it's no wonder, these people, it's, it's like the angels. An angel, the devil comes as an angel of the light in the same way. He says, these apostles come comes as apostles of righteousness. But they're not apostles of righteousness. They say, we are preaching the righteousness of God by Christ Jesus. But they are not preaching it. They are preaching the disqualification of man in his flesh. They are preaching the disqualification of man by his works. And what he wants people to do is to look at human ability, to look at human effort to obey laws, to be righteous before God. That's what these apostles do. And then Paul comes and he says there's a war, there's a battle. And this is the battle. We are preaching grace, but other people are preaching another gospel. And you are believing this other gospel. And it's destroying your lives. And these people are coming as messengers of the devil. I'm sorry to say it that way, but my goodness, that's what the Bible says. Let me see if I can just find the core verse there. It's radical, but my, this is what the Bible says. I don't know why I've lost that verse. Um, It's 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1. It says, um, 
He says, I would to God that you bear with me in a little folly. He says, I want to boast now. He says, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve, through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. Isn't that powerful? This is exactly what happened. You know, and then he goes on uh, and he says, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. So he says, I come to you guys. I didn't even ask yourself money. I just want to preach this truth to you. He says, for, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren, which came from Macedonia, supplied. He says, so I worked, but I didn't have enough money in Macedonians. The poor churches in Macedonia gave to me so that I can preach to the rich church in Corinth. And in all things, I kept myself from being burdensome unto you. And so I keep myself. Um, then he says, but what I do, that I will not, that I may cut off occasion for them which desire uh, desire occasion. This is a very difficult way to say that I will not ask money of you any at all because other people will say I'm just in this thing for money. My motive is not pure because they came and said to Paul, Paul, your motive is not pure. You just wanted money from these people. But the people who said that was apostles who took money from the churches and preached the false gospel to the churches, which Paul started. Amen. Then he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And, not, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The, it, man, my goodness. Therefore, it is no great thing if a minister also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So what he says is there are ministers that come in and they are transformed as ministers of righteousness, but they are not ministers of righteousness. They are ministers of works righteousness under the cloak of righteousness. Yeah. And we are talking about spiritual warfare. Paul says here, I don't want you to be deceived. Yeah. And by, by the subtlety of Satan. So we're talking about spiritual warfare, satanic stuff here. Here comes a preacher that wants to mix the law with grace. He comes under the cloak of righteousness. But it's not righteousness. These people are worried about money. It's all that they're worried about is how much money the church can give them. How they can sponge off the people. Not fathers of the people. Caring for the needs of the people. And I want to say this. I don't think that most of those people are in it uh, um, willfully. They're also deceived. So we don't point the finger saying, look at these wrong people. They're so bad. We, we, we keep our mind in the truth. It is a deception because of something wrong they believed. I preached that wrong message, man. I came in the cloak of righteousness, but I was not preaching righteousness. I was preaching a wrong message because I was deceived. Not knowing the truth of the gospel. But when we know the truth, we can't, we're not against the person. We're against what happens by what they preach. And this is what he says. These people are mixing. They, they, it's, it's not the simplicity of the gospel. What's the simplicity of the gospel? This is the simplicity of the gospel. One man, Adam, came. He, was, uh, he, he disobeyed God and everybody became sinners. So what's simple about the gospel then? One man, Jesus, came, represented mankind, obeyed on everybody and gave us all righteousness. 
The very same many that was made sinners by the disobedience of Adam are made righteous by the obedience of Christ. And then, whosoever believes it will be saved and have immortal life in the return of Christ. That's the simplicity of the gospel. But these people came and made it very complicated. They said, no, no, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And then circumcision meant that you'll obey the law of Moses. Now we know it's very uncomfortable as heathen to be circumcised. So we've cut the circumcision part out because Paul's writings are very clear. So we just keep the circumcision and go straight to the law of Moses. And what we say is it's very simple to be saved. You believe in Jesus Christ and keep the law. Then we went further. We said, okay, we know we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, but we've got our church laws. Burn the aprons and you'll be blessed. It's very simple. Believe in Jesus and bind the devil over the town and you'll be blessed. You see, it is, it is again not the simplicity of the gospel. It's not the simplicity of God blessed you, you believe in the blessing, and the blessing manifests by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's simple. But it, we get all these complicated things, you know, and we are, and, and that is our war, to stay in the simplicity of the gospel. I end off with this verse. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1. Um, you know, we're going to talk about next Sunday about binding and loosing, you know, binding the strong man, what does that mean, and all those kind of things as well. So, um, can't get into everything this Sunday. As now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. So he says, listen, man, when I'm with you, I will, soft speaking, but when I'm away, I write a real powerful letter. But I beseech you that I may not be, uh, not be bold when I come in this confidence, oh, oh, sorry, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. Now flesh, remember here, those of you that come regularly, flesh means works of the law. So he says here, clearly he says, there are some people that I, that's what he says. You know, I don't know what you, how you say that in English. They say, of you trap. You know, because you say I'm in the flesh. What you did was, when I turned my back, you started to spread a message that say that I also preach. In today's terms, tithing, sowing and reaping, the law of Moses, burning of the this and burning of that. Okay. Some of the Christians have got so little stuff that they even got to burn the little they have. Yes, this is one slag, yo. Then he says, for though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Semicolon, explaining what a stronghold is. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay. So what's a spiritual war? We've got weapons of our warfare. What's the weapons of our warfare? What Paul was talking about here in the true context was the war, the weapon of my war is the doctrine I preach. This doctrine that I preach is mighty through what God has done in Christ to the pulling down of a stronghold. What is a stronghold? He says there, it's an imagination. It is a thought. 
It's a way of belief that exalts itself against what God knows. Against the knowledge of God. And our teaching and the weapon of my warfare, my war as a preacher, is this. To preach the grace message. What does this grace message do? It brings down everything that exalts itself against what God knows about mankind. And then my vision is to bring every thought in man subject and make it obedient, a subject to the obedience of Jesus. Now let me explain that quickly. I'm ending off with this. So when I preach the gospel, this is what Paul says, the weapon of my warfare, the war that I have, is to preach this gospel. And when I preach this gospel, what do I see? I see strongholds, these imaginations being brought down to nothing. What was these imaginations? The, people, the Jewish people imagined that if they would be circumcised, they'll be saved. They imagined that if they carried all those, those clothes and were under all those laws and obeyed it, then God will be pleased with them. But the gospel preached said, you don't have to be circumcised. The gospel Paul preached said, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Then Paul came and he preaches, he says, God made of the Jew and the Gentile one new man. There's no such a thing as a Jew and a Gentile. The old has passed away. Look, everything has become new. From God's perspective, Jesus took away the sin of the whole world, bringing innocence to mankind, and he reconciled the whole world, including the Gentiles, unto himself, and is not imputing one man's trespass against him. So all of, all of a sudden, every... No because God would say, I've reconciled the world unto myself. But then there will be other, other mindsets, other beliefs that will say, no, 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 there are still people guilty. Which says, I exalt myself above what God says. If God says this, no, 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 I don't agree. I say this. Then he says, we throughout teaching, our war is to break down that thing. It was not to bind the devil over the town. Listen, if you're busy with binding the devil over the town, you've already lost the battle. Because you believe the devil's over the town. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we, we believe the true gospel. We preach the true gospel. And that gospel brings down imaginations and strongholds in the minds of people. That's what he says. Let me read it again. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? It's the knowledge God has. So God has got knowledge. There's some things that want to differ with what God knows. And if you want to differ, we are preaching something to bring forth the knowledge of God. And we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what does it mean? There are thoughts, you know. In, thought there doesn't just talk about the thought in your mind. It talks about different thoughts. The thought of Buddhism or the thought of Hinduism or the thought of Islam or different thoughts Schools, schools of thought that we have, different doctrines we have, it can also include a thought in your mind. Like a thought in your mind, I cannot be blessed because I have not tithed this month. Okay? Bring that subject to the obedience of Christ. Christ obeyed on my behalf. When Christ... Adam disobeyed on my behalf. Christ obeyed on my behalf. When He obeyed on my behalf, I was qualified to be blessed. And God in His person provides for His children. So I rest my mind in a God that is not works orientated, but that's love orientated, that's value orientated, that provides for the birds, and He'll provide for me. Yeah. 
That is taking a thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Satan comes and says, you have not obeyed, God cannot bless you. Listen, I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I put it under the obedience of Jesus. And that is the weapons of our warfare. This is spiritual warfare. And I took a long time in the teaching explaining what Paul did with that one person, you know. Uh, and in the forgiveness of the person who committed the fornication or whatever. But we need to understand that from that perspective is where he said, we are not ignorant of his devices because you people don't want to forgive him because you, you works orientated all the time thinking I've got a grudge against him. I don't have a grudge against the guy. He, if you forgive him, I have already forgiven him as Christ has forgiven him. The issue is not what he's done. The issue is the church. Hallelujah. We don't walk in the consciousness of people's sins. You walk in a consciousness of what Christ has done for them. And if somebody has done something wrong, I bring it subject to the obedience of Jesus. And the obedience we have towards God is to believe in what He believes. Amen. What is the new commandment? To believe in Jesus. That's the new commandment. A new commandment I give unto you that will enable you to love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment is not to love your neighbor. The new commandment will enable you to love your neighbor. What is the new commandment? To believe upon me, Jesus said. That's the new commandment. What shall we do to work all the works of God? This is the work of God. Listen to this. He didn't say this is your work. He says this is the work of God. This is what God does. This is the purpose of God. That you believe in me. John 6.38 This is the work of God. That you believe upon me. So the whole purpose of God with Jesus and everything is that you can just believe in what He's done for you. He's made you innocent. He brought you righteousness and everything. When you believe upon it, you find that truth manifesting in you by the power of the Spirit of God and not your willpower. And you are saved from yourself. And the system of the devil. You know, the moment we can, and I like a good preacher, I always uh, end off for the second time. The... the <laughs> The, 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 the purpose, the, the, the purpose why we hear the gospel is to be set free from the satanic thought of my ability determines my being. That is the satanic thought. And it was coated so beautifully in religion. In the name of Jesus that we, em that we embraced death. And we lived in death. We had schools of death. Thinking we are preaching the gospel. Being deceived by the subtlety of the snake. The snake doesn't come with, Listen man, just go and murder this person. No, 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 no. It comes with a thing of something like this. You know, if that person really loved you, you would have done this. When you believe that, you doubt the person's motive. And then you start to judge him by what he do. You start to see who he is by what he does. Yeah. And the end then can be killing the person. Start subtle. Subtle. I mean, God loves people. To the point where you can't even pray... I remember in the traditional church, you can't even pray for somebody 
that's not a believer because how can God heal an unbeliever? You must first believe in Jesus, confess his sin, then you break all the curses of the devil over his life, then you can pray for him and he will be healed. But Jesus has healed the sick. He never had any of those methods. Never bu- he never bound the spirit of the smurf. <laughs> never did that. I've never seen Jesus once bind the spirit of alcohol. Anything. All he said was, I cannot do these miracles if the strong man is not already bound. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? He says, I cannot plunder the house unless the strong man is already bound. How can somebody plunder a house unless a strong man is bound? He must first bind the strong man. And then Jesus was healing the sick. They said, you use the power of the devil. He says, no, 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 no. The devil didn't give me the power. The reason why I can do these things is because the strong man has been bound. The strong man has been bound for 2,000 years. Hallelujah. Next Sunday we'll get into that. Amen. Let's pray together. (laughs) Father, I want to thank you that we can have a life saturated by the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Father, when we think of every person walking on this planet, we think from the perspective of your logic. We think from the perspective of your understanding. We think from the perspective of your freedom. We see people, uh, sins paid paid for. If there are people, Father, walking in a life that is destructive, we see them as a victim of the flesh. We see the value of people because we have believed in you. We've believed what you say about people. Thank you, Lord, that our lives are are formed by that. You know, there can be people here watching by the internet. I'm just especially thinking over the people of the people over the web. Um, And I'm thinking of of people that went through divorce and abuse. Uh, A lady beaten by her husband. Those kind of things. And I want to say this. You've struggled to forgive that person that has done it to you. I want to tell you. The scripture says in Romans chapter 7. That it was not him that sinned. But sin in him that took him captive. And made him a slave and hurt you even through him. Maybe he continues to yield to that spirit, which is a wrong thing. But the moment you can say that this person is actually valuable, but he was taken captive by sin and separate him in that form from his sin, saying it was not him, but sin taking him captive, wanting to destroy him and wanting to destroy you that got abused that way, beaten up and, and all those kind of things, you will find so much peace in your life. You know, that person can never take back what he's done. It is done. It is, it, it's history. It has happened. And I want to tell you the lie of the devil would be that you are a blessed person uh, or that, the lie of the devil would be, you are cursed because this bad thing has happened to you. And why has it happened to you and, and not other people and all those kind of things? That's an endless cycle of death. I bring you freedom in the name of Jesus, saying, even if you had a loving husband all your life, it could never define you. There's one loving husband that can define you. His name is Jesus. It's Abba Father. He loves you forevermore. 
We cannot be defined by, by our, our marriage. We cannot be defined by our money. We cannot be defined by the joy of this life. We cannot be defined by the curses in this world. We cannot be defined by prosperity, neither poverty. You have been made the righteousness of God. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I set you free from the lie that you've believed that's destroyed your life. You are precious to God in the same way as the husband that's done the bad thing to you. And I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus by speaking well over you. I say, everybody here and watching by the web, your sins, sins are forgiven. The weapons of our warfare is the gospel of grace. We stay in the message of God's unconditional love. And in such a way, Satan cannot touch us. Keep yourself in the love of God and the evil one will not touch you. Keep yourself in the love of God and the one bringing the condemnation message will not be able to enter your mind because you are in the circles of God's unconditional love. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I just, I, I, you know, I want to just say this. I feel we can put a demand on the person of God. Don't be afraid to say, He is a loving Father and He does care for me. Having an expectation of care. You can have an expectation of care. You can have an expectation of love in this world. And you will find God guiding your mind and your heart into a place where you can see true care and true peace and tranquility of mind. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Right. Um, if, there's, if there's any person that wants prayer, um, I'll be here. You, I'll pray for you. If you want to have some coffee, you're welcome. Those of you that want to give, uh, there's a box on the table there. You are free. Amen. God bless.